listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. And so we figured our cats had gotten in a fight at night because they just go crazy at night and we didn't really think much about it. Well, flash forward to a few days later, we notice that the spot's getting bigger. My cat is licking its paw, it's biting at it to the point where its leg is bleeding and it had just gotten a lot worse. And so Mary Kendall, we run to the store, she tells me, to get some gauze and some neosporin and we wrap the cat's leg and the next day I come home and her paw is doubled in size. So she's got a very tiny leg and her paw is ginormous. And so immediately I'm like, all right, we got to take her to the vet or her leg's going to fall off. I don't know. But so it's 9 p.m. My wife gets off work. I put her in the cat carrier and she instantly just clams up and not a lot of people here have seen my cats but my my cat Aspen is very playful she's she's kind of just like a lap dog she jumps on you and wants to be petted at all times she's very loving but once we took her out of her comfort zone into this cat carrier she had to trust that me and Mary Kendall would protect her and would keep her out of harm's way because as her owners, we are responsible for the health and safety of our animals. And it is our desire to give our cats a great life. We make sure they have enough food. We bought them a bed. Um, but for some reason, they enjoy sleeping on garbage and shoes instead. But we protect them. And if they run away, we will look for them. We used to live at Camp Tapawingo, and they got out once. And that was a time finding them. But we spent three hours at the emergency vet. We got out at midnight. She got an inflammation shot, and now she's on antibiotics. Her leg looks a lot better. They had to shave it, so she just has one like weird-looking paw. But she's recovering really well. And through this situation, our cat trusted us. The most comfortable she was was when we put her on the vet table, opened the door, and she jumped into my wife's arms. She was like, all right, I'm good right here. Like, this is where I feel most safe. And so I know some of you probably hate cats. And you might find this connection a little silly. However, we are the exact same way with God. God is our help in a terrifying or an uncomfortable situation. And in fact, Psalm 23 says he is our great shepherd and we are his flock. I did think it was kind of funny that we're decorated for VBS, so there's a barn and there's a bunch of animals but no sheep. It's because you guys are the sheep, get it? But, but we're going to be in Psalm 23. <laughs> we're going to be in Psalm 23. It's the most known psalm, I would say, 
I, I've been taught Psalm 23 since I was a baby. Um, it was the fir- one of the first passages I learned um, alongside John 3.16. But the amazing part of Psalm 23 is you can read it on a surface level and find peace and comfort. But when you go deeper, there's so much more meaning to it. And so I'll be, in the, I'll be reading out of the ESV um, if you have a digital Bible, and it should be on the back of your bulletin. But I'm going to pray, and then we'll read. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessings you have given us. Thank you for allowing us to, to just be here and worship you. And I'm so grateful to be able to bring the message today. Um, I just pray that you keep me humble and that you just speak through me and that someone in this audience, in this congregation, will hear something that they need to hear or they'll make a decision today, Lord. And we just praise you and we serve you for everything you do. In your name, amen. All right, so Psalm 23, it's six verses. It says, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, first thing that this passage says, it is a psalm of David. So it is written by David. In David's early life, he was a shepherd. Um, He was a small guy. He was the youngest sibling. And Bible, the scripture says, he was a man after God's own heart. He went on to become the king of Israel, and he lived out his life in service to God. But David, being a shepherd, he writes this psalm with the metaphor of God being our shepherd, and later in the chapter he uses sort of a a view of God being a host. But with David's knowledge as a shepherd, he says this first, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or in other translations it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. And so today in these six verses, I'm going to answer three things about what makes a good shepherd. What makes a good shepherd. And so as a shepherd in his viewpoint, David was in charge of his flock and he had to provide everything for them. He fed and watered them. He led them to green pastures. He protected them, and he would go find them if they were lost. I'm sure you've all heard the parable of the lost sheep in the Gospels. And in this metaphor, he happily states that God does the exact same thing that a shepherd would do for his flock. Because he is the great shepherd. 
And there's a song that even talks about it. It says, there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. God is our shepherd, and he provides everything we need, and he pursues us without stopping. There's nothing that will stop him. And so, what would a good shepherd do? A good shepherd would lead his flock to still waters and to green pastures. This would have allowed the sheep to eat and drink. They could be refreshed. They'd be able to find rest, and they would be restored. And in the same way, God leads us to a life of true joy and restoration. And so our point one today, the good shepherd leads his flock to restoration and righteousness. Psalm 62, one says, this is the NIV translation, it says, Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. And so before, before we get into this, this passage, I want to make perfectly clear what this psalm does not promise. It does not promise a life of immense wealth. It does not promise a life without hardships. And it also doesn't promise that we won't die or be killed for what we believe. But what this passage does promise is that God will provide all we need. He will provide rest and restoration for our soul, and it promises that God will lead us down a path of righteousness for his namesake. And so if the good shepherd leads his flock to restoration and righteousness, what even is restoration? Webster's Dictionary defines restoration as to bring to or put back into a former or original state. And in this psalm, David states that the Lord restores my soul. And so before we accept God, before we are believers, we are dead. Our souls are dead, and they cannot do anything but sin. There is nothing that our soul can do without Christ except sin. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But when we come to know Christ, when he says he restores my soul, he restores our soul in two ways. He restores our souls to him and out of death. So he makes us alive. Psalm 51.12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And secondly, he restores our soul in abundance. So he doesn't just restore our souls to the joy of salvation, but he then starts working on us. He's the potter, we're the clay. And he starts restoring us to holiness and righteousness. And he does this in abundance. He sanctifies us and he makes us like him as we go throughout our life. And King David, he knew about this. David was the king He was God's anointed king, but he still wondered in his life. And I would say say most of you know this story, but we see David at a very low point in his life in 2 Samuel. It's a story of David and Bathsheba. David steals a man's wife. He sleeps with her. 
And then he has the husband killed in battle. And right after that, he is strongly rebuked by Nathan the prophet. <clears throat> in 2 Samuel 12:11 through 15, it says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly. Well, I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put, your, put away your sin. You shall not die. <clears throat> Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. He became sick. <clears throat> so in these five verses, David is rebuked, he's disciplined, he's then corrected, and he's then restored. David repents of his sin, and God forgave him. And so if you're a believer, God is your good shepherd. And if you're struggling with sin, or if you don't know God, if you ask, he will restore you. He will lead you to righteousness, and he will give you a life of rest. And I want to emphasize, there is no sin that is too big that God will not forgive you of, and he will not restore you from. He will restore you no matter what you have done, no matter what. And it takes repentance, because David repented and he was forgiven. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In David's early years, one of the first things he does is kill a giant Philistine. And what was his name? Goliath, yeah. I, I quizzed the teens all the time. I figured I'd ask you guys. But yeah, he kills Goliath. In this story, though, right before he goes out on the battlefield, we see the king, Saul, telling David there is no way he could kill Goliath. Absolutely no way. You'll go out there, you'll die, we'll lose the end. And so David looks at him and he replies with this, 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36. But David said to Saul, <clears throat> Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. So David, despite the risk of being killed by lions or bears or even Goliath, three things that are a whole lot bigger than him and a whole lot stronger than him, he was willing to lay down his life and risk it for his sheep and his friends. 
He would protect his sheep to the death because they were his property and he loved them. And he would rather sacrifice himself and protect his sheep. And let it be clear that God uses David in this story as a vessel because David also was God's flock. God protected David because David was his flock, even though David was going to protect his. And so this leads to point two. The good shepherd lovingly protects and corrects his flock. The good shepherd lovingly protects and corrects his flock. One of the most amazing truths in Scripture, I think, is As God's people, we don't have to worry about anything. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because God is with us. But what even is the valley of the shadow of death? Other translations mention it as the darkest valley. And the Hebrew word also sort of works with the darkest valley. And so a sheep, having no concept of death, they are aware of danger. And they know that if they see darkness, that means danger. And so when we are in a situation where danger is present, this tells us that we have no reason to fear because God is with us. Even to the point of death and after death. When we die, if we know God, then we are safely led to dwell with him forever. And so God protects us in this life because we are his sheep. And when we die, he leads us to an eternity with him. We are comforted because we trust he will protect us. And the sheep trust the shepherd as well. And the shepherd also... It says, thy rod and your staff comfort me. And these were two tools that the shepherd would use. The staff was used to care for the sheep, to lead them and guide them places when they were traveling. And then the rod was a weapon, and it was used as a sign of authority for correction, for discipline, and defense. I'm going to ask a question. I want complete honesty. This is a no-judgment zone. Who here is still scared of the dark? One person. All right. Out of both services, there's one person that's raised their hand. Thank you, Noah. (laughs) Nobody in first service raised their hand. I did, though. I'm not going to lie. I have been scared of the dark since I was a kid. I am less scared of the dark now, but I'm not going to lie. I don't like being in the dark. I turn on lights whenever I can. Until I got married, I slept with my TV on. And even today, we live in an apartment complex, and sometimes I have to walk far away. And when I do that, if it's dark outside, I make a mental note to walk far away from the storm drain because I know that's where the monsters live. (laughs) But for real, though. My wife told me when when she was six or seven, um, whenever she went down to the basement, she would always have to lean into scripture 
because she knew God was with her. And even though she was scared, she would walk down the stairs imagining holding God's hand because she knew that he was with her. God will protect his flock at all costs. And his presence and his rod and his staff will comfort you. But just as he will protect his flock, he will also correct them. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. And so the shepherd uses his rod for many things. He protects them, and another one of them is correction and discipline. Sometimes in life, God will take things away from us. He'll make us wait for things that we don't want to wait for. Or he will discipline us all for the sake of loving us and setting us on the right path. He uses situations and even people to correct and rebuke. We see that earlier, like I mentioned, Nathan the prophet correcting and rebuking David. And also we see this in Scripture. In, in Timothy, this thing keeps popping, sorry. In Timothy, it literally says Scripture is used for reproof or correction. Scripture exposes our sin It exposes our need for God. And so when we say it is important to stay in the word, we mean it because with scripture, we have God's word, we see where we fall, and it exposes us as we are, dead in our sins. But it then shows us how to live in light of God and how to walk like him. It equips us and it exposes us and it corrects us. Recently, me and my wife had specific plans for our fall and winter. And this weekend, we sort of got a correction from that. God was telling us that our fall and our winter was going to be a lot different than we planned. We had literally changed jobs because of this thing that was going to happen. And so when we got the news that we were going to have to change it, it was really hard for us. It was very, very hard for us to trust God in this situation. And not going to lie, we we had questions. Why is this happening? We've planned for this. We felt so confident that this is what we were going to do. We trusted, but it, it changed because God's will was higher than ours. But after much prayer and conversation, we trusted God's will is higher than ours even though it was frustrating. And so while we wanted to go somewhere different, God led us down a path of righteousness, and we're seeing that because he leads his flock through all situations. And we as believers, we need to trust that he is leading us to safety, and he's leading us to what we need. And so I'm going to challenge you. If you struggle with letting God correct you, or lead you, trust in him because his ways are higher than ours. And we will see that one day when we, when we see him in heaven. 
And so the last two verses of Psalm 23 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It was customary for an honored guest to have their head anointed with oil especially when they arrived for a party or an event. And so David paints this picture of God anointing his head as an honored guest in his house. And he says that they will dine together forever, despite right outside the door his enemies trying to get in and kill him. But they're still eating peacefully together in the Lord's house, and he is being anointed so there are so many implications to this. I have three minor subpoints that are not in your bulletin, but I'm going to read them. First, if you are a believer, you are anointed by God. You have an eternal inheritance from him, and nothing will ever separate you from that. <clears throat> and that's point three. The good shepherd allows his flock to dwell with him forever. There is nothing that will separate God's flock from him forever. And 1 John 2, 19 through 21 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And plain and simple, this says, if you have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, then you are one of his anointed, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if you have not accepted Christ, then you are not his anointed, and you will not dwell with him forever. The second implication, you are anointed with the Holy Spirit. At the point of conversion, the Lord anoints you with the Holy Spirit. You are indwelled fully with his Spirit, and it is sent specifically to lead you and guide you and convict you when you are doing wrong. And it will speak through you, and it will use you to further the kingdom of God. 1 John 2.27 says, But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We are anointed with the Holy Spirit. It abides, it resides in us. And because of that, we get to abide in God because we trust in the spirit that has been given to us. And the third implication, no matter what is happening in your life, goodness and mercy will always follow us. David is literally speaking of dining with God in the presence of his enemies. 
And I don't know about you, but if you're eating dinner, I'm not thinking about what's going around. I'm not thinking about the evil that's happening. He is eating with God. He is happy. He is peaceful. He has found rest. And believers can know that mercy and goodness as well. We can know that it will follow us despite the world being an evil place and Christians being persecuted more and more every day. God is good and he is merciful and he pours that out on us in abundance. And because of that, we can pour that out on others as well. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 12. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. When we sow in righteousness, the Lord reaps in righteousness in abundance. So God supplies goodness and mercy and infinitely other things to his people. And in turn, we get to give it to others as well, and we are able to give God glory for that, and we give him thanks. And so here's our summary point today. Nothing will separate the good shepherd from his flock. Nothing will separate the good shepherd from his flock. So this might sound a little weird. I have thought a lot about death during my life. It might be because my dad passed when I was young. I don't know, but it's just something I've thought about a lot. And when you just sit and think about the process of death, it's, it's kind of scary. Because we're not promised the next day. And as even as I was typing this, I was just like, yeah, I, I might not even be here tomorrow to, to, to give the message. But everyone has lost someone they love. And so it's always hard hearing the stories of people who have passed suddenly. Um, I asked my friend if I could share this story. But towards the end of last year, I got a call from my best friend. Um, it's not abnormal for him to call me, and it's also not abnormal for me to miss his call. But um, I was at work at this time, and so I, I text him, and I'm like, hey, I'll call you after work. And so I get in my car, and I call him. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And he's just like, hey, I want to let you know um, my dad died this morning. And I was... I was definitely taken aback. You know, his, his dad didn't have any, any crazy health problems. He, I know that he had had a couple heart attacks in his life, but other than that, he went to the gym all the time. Every time I was there, I spoke to him. And they just found him on his couch. Was, he, he had been known to, to sit on the couch and work on his laptop, and they found him the next morning. And he was gone. 
And so I'm sure that many of you have thought about death at some point. But amidst all of the scary thoughts about the process of dying, when we read Psalm 23, there is immense comfort in it. For the wages of sin is death, and so our punishment for sin is a physical bodily death. But if we have Christ, then we do not go through that process alone. With God, we don't bypass the valley of death, but we walk hand in hand through the shadow. And what's amazing is it says the shadow of death. It's just a shadow. There's no merit to it because it's just a shadow. It can't hold you down. It can't harm you. And so as you're walking through this valley hand in hand with Christ, there's nothing that's going to hurt you because Christ took death and defeated it on the cross. And so once we die, we get to reside with Christ and dwell with him forever forever with our God and our loved ones who have gone before us. And so I'm going to pray here in a second, but I want you to know if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior today, or if you just don't have assurance of that, I'll be over here to the side. There are leaders um, throughout the congregation. Please come and talk to me or any of them because we would love to pray with you and talk with you show you the assurance that God gives to his flock. And through that, God will give you rest that only he can provide.